0: Pastor Bruce will be uh, continuing in his series, What Jesus Came to Do for You, He Came to Forgive Your Sins, Luke chapter 7, we're going to be reading verses 36 through 50. Once again, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for sending your son to forgive our sins. Die on the cross for us. Open our hearts and minds uh, to learn uh, the message that you have laid on Pastor Bruce's heart for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, how many of you have ever got a speeding ticket? Pulled over by a police officer? Who, who, maybe I should ask it. who hasn't ever had a speeding ticket? Anybody? Oh, you guys don't count. You're not, you can't even drive. Well, yeah, my sister-in-law. You've never had a speeding ticket? Where's Donald? You can take care of that, can't you? And that's what I thought. All right, for those of you that had, a, you've been pulled over police officer speed, how many have you ever tried to sweet talk your way out of the speeding ticket? Anybody? And how successful were you? It, it worked for some of you. Well, I still contend to this day, a few years back, my wife got a speeding ticket. And then uh, six days later, I got a speeding ticket. Uh, my excuse was that I was just trying to make my wife feel better. That's why I got it. She didn't buy it. Uh, the police officer didn't buy it. My sister-in-law didn't even buy it. So I still had to pay the ticket. and My wife had to pay it nonetheless. But... If you think drivers come up with some unbelievable excuses when they're trying to talk their way out of a speeding ticket, you should hear the stories that turn up on insurance companies' accident forms. Some time ago, the Toronto Sun newspaper printed a few samples from actual reports. I kid you not, here they are. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. Another one, in my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole on an actual actual report. I had been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. If I had been driving that long, I would fall asleep too. Uh, Here's another one. I had been shopping all day for plants and was on my way home. I reached an intersection, a hedge sprang up, obscuring my vision. I did not see the other car. Uh, Another one here says, the pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. (laughs) It it was his fault. Uh, Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. You know, uh, and I love this one. This, This guy wrote, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I finally hit him. And then here's a pretty creative uh, excuse. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my vehicle, and then just vanished. Yeah, right. But my all-time favorite is this one right here. The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to that. Anyways, the point of all this is to illustrate that it's, it is easy to excuse our mistakes in life. It is really easy. Unfortunately, if we're honest with ourselves, it's easy to excuse our sins as well. It's human nature to avoid taking responsibility for our sinfulness. In fact, we may even have a hard time admitting that we sin, or even seeing ourselves as what the Bible describes and calls us as sinners. And so as we continue in our series this morning, the series that we're calling What Jesus Came to Do for You, I want to introduce you to two people in particular. Two people that come right out of our text in Luke chapter 7, and two people who responded very differently to their sinfulness. In the beginning of this story, we're introduced to a man named Simon. Simon was this high-class Pharisee. And then later on in the story, we're introduced to this unnamed woman who was a low-class prostitute. These two people, if we stood them up here today side by side, a Pharisee and a prostitute, they may have looked and acted differently on the outside. But folks, let me tell you what we're going to find out in this encounter with Jesus, that they had the same need on the inside. They both we're sinners in need of God's forgiveness. And what we're going to see specifically in this encounter with Jesus is that Simon responded to his sin with the attitude, God, just, just excuse me for it. Just excuse me for my sin. That was the Pharisee's attitude while the woman responded to her sin with the attitude, God, will you please forgive me? For my sin and there's a big difference in attitude between the two now this would be a great time for us to kind of stop and evaluate at the beginning of the message here our own attitude as well in fact this is in your notes when it comes to sin how do you typically respond to your own sinfulness is your attitude more like the pharisee or is your attitude more like the prostitute is it god will you excuse me Or is it, God, will you forgive me? Now, the first response, that of the Pharisee here, it denies our sin by simply excusing it. But the second response here, it deals with our sin by asking God to forgive us. And this close encounter, I don't know about you, but it is so relevant still for my own life. This encounter, although it took place 2,000 years ago, is so relevant for every one of us here this morning. Because in reality, we're all in the same boat. We may look and act differently on the outside. But folks, listen, we all have the same need on the inside. We all have this need for the forgiveness of sin. And because of our sin, perhaps you're here this morning and you may feel a sense of shame. You may be carrying a sense of guilt. And we all lack the power to change. But here's what's so amazing about Jesus Christ. Here's what's so amazing of what we learn in this encounter between Jesus and this Pharisee and this prostitute. Is that when it comes to our sin, Jesus came to forgive me. He came to forgive me, not to condemn me. Now, before we get into the, the actual encounter uh, here this morning, let me kind of set it up and give you some background to this close encounter here. This encounter between this Pharisee and this prostitute with Jesus, it takes place in Simon's house. And who, as we said earlier, was this high-class Pharisee. And perhaps you're even wondering, I've heard this term Pharisees. Who are Pharisees? What are they like? What do they do? Pharisees were basically a group of people who were very strict and very zealous religious people. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but the problem is, Pharisees, they kind of looked down on other people because they thought they had it all together. They voluntarily agreed to this lifestyle of fasting and prayer and tithing and giving to the poor. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And in that particular day, in this culture, it was considered a, a very prestigious uh, event, if you will, to invite a visiting rabbi or a, a prominent teacher over to your house for dinner the people um, perhaps maybe they thought it would get them extra points with uh, with God or, or brownie points so to speak with God so Simon this Pharisee he decides hey I want to invite Jesus over Jesus is this rabbi he's his teacher and he's done some miracles and and I'm going to invite him over to my house, and maybe I can kind of get in with him, and he'll see my life on the outside, and, and I can kind of earn my way into heaven and get close to God that way. Now, it sounds strange to us today, but dinner, uh, in that culture, in that day and time, was a, in a prominent house, was a, a public affair. You know, and that's just weird to us, because when I invite somebody over to our house, man, it's, it's just us and them, and... You know, if I had people looking through my windows, I'd be like, well, what are you doing? You're peeping Tom, all right? And that's just foreign concept. But in that day and age, uh, needy people were allowed to visit the house and to kind of sit around the courtyard for two reasons in particular. One, when the dinner was over with, the poor could eat the leftovers. Instead of just throwing it in the trash like most of us do, uh, they would share it. And while, number two, a second reason, while the guests were eating dinner, everyone else could kind of listen in on the conversation, and and they would benefit from what was being talked about. It was almost a form of entertainment, kind of like a Bible Times talk show, and in this case, between this Pharisee and his guest, and Jesus Christ, who was the prominent guest. And so this was especially important, because somebody really important as we said, with Jesus was invited over. Now, here's the question. What does all this mean for us? What, did, what does this encounter show us today? What relevance does it have for us still today in the 2000s? Well, as we'll see, it shows us that, really, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in the past, Jesus came to forgive us. In fact, Jesus came... To meet three of our deepest needs in life. And, and so I, I love this about this encounter here because it's so personal, it's so relevant for every one of us here today. So let's take some time to look at it. Three of our deepest needs that Jesus came to meet when he offers us forgiveness for our sins. Number one, Jesus can erase your shame. Jesus can erase your shame. Now, Again, I, I try to imagine the scene, if you will. In fact, there's going to be a slide come up on the screen uh, of somebody's interpretation of what maybe this would have looked like. And so imagine a scene at Simon's house as they get ready to eat this dinner. The courtyard is full of all these people. And Jesus is reclining on a low couch or some type of chair or even... Uh, the floor, and he's beginning to eat his dinner, when suddenly, out of the blue, this woman, sobbing with tears, walks in, and everyone stops and just looks at her. In verse 37, it actually says, and behold a woman. Now that phrase literally means, look, look, a woman And the idea is not one of admiration of this woman, but one of shock. It's one of disgust. You say, well, why is that? Because this woman is not just any woman. She was this low-class prostitute, and everybody knew it. She was a sinner, we could say, to the max. And the people knew it, and they looked down at her. But then this woman does something that's even more shocking than just showing up at Simon's house and crashing this dinner party. She walks over to where Jesus is sitting, and she kneels at his feet, and she begins to wash his feet with her tears. And then she breaks open a beautiful jar that's filled with perfume. In fact, it's probably the same perfume that she uses to entice men in her trade as a prostitute, except now Think of it this way, she's literally breaking the tool of her trade and pointing it out on Jesus' feet, almost as a way of saying, listen, I don't want this anymore, I don't need this anymore. And next she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. She begins to kiss his feet over and over again. Now, again, this is somewhat hard for us to fully understand. And we don't understand all the implications behind this because we don't live in that culture, we're not from that culture. But let me just say this. The risk that this woman has taken was huge. It took tremendous courage for her to do what she did. And one reason why is because she broke two major cultural taboos. You see, in that day and age, in that cultural, the first rule or the first taboo was, Women don't touch men in public, and she's doing this. And rule number two is, women don't let down their hair in public. Only in the presence of your husband would you let your hair down. In fact, this offense was so taboo that the Pharisees sometimes would put a woman letting her hair down in the same category as uncovering her breast. It's one of shock. It's one of disgust. And what I'm trying to say is, Simon and his guest, his prominent guest, and all the onlookers are in extreme shock over what they are seeing this prostitute do. Now, here's a question for us to think about. As you put yourself in this woman's shoes, how would you have felt if you were this woman? I mean, what would you have been thinking? as everyone was staring at you. You probably feel a little anxious, I'm sure. You probably feel a little fearful. You probably wonder if you were about to get kicked out of the house. You may be also scared that somebody was going to get up and tell Jesus all about your past. All about the sinful things you've done. Now, what do you think Simon and the other respectable guests were whispering to each other? Because they're on looking, and this is taking place in front of them, and they're just looking at it, and I'm sure they're they're whispering over to each other. And And they're talking, and they're whispering, and I'm sure they were saying things, man, what is she doing here? I can't believe she's doing this, and that's a good question. What was she doing there? What was actually taking place? And I think it's clear from her actions that she was seeking something. And that something is forgiveness. She'd probably heard about Jesus. Maybe she's even heard Jesus preach. And she knew Jesus was offering something that none of her customers could give her. And that is the forgiveness of her sins. And the forgiveness of sins is exactly what Jesus offered to this woman. You see, Jesus knows the thoughts of disgust. He knew what the people were thinking. He knew what they were talking and what they were thinking about towards this woman. He knew how Simon, this this high-class Pharisee, thought it was how he was better than this woman, this low-class prostitute. And Jesus also knew how fearful and shameful and anxious this woman was feeling over her own sins. So Jesus does something to erase her shame. He tells a story. And it's kind of the story within the story that we're looking at. It's a story within the encounter. And at the same time, as Jesus tells this story, he does it for the purpose to erase her shame, but he's also doing it to let Simon know, this high-class Pharisee, that, hey, listen, you need forgiveness just as much as as this prostitute does. Now, this story is found in verses 41 and 42. It's a short story. It's a simple story, and yet it packs a powerful punch. It's about a man who loaned money to two people. The first person, he loaned 500 denarii. And denarii in that day and age was worth about a day's wages. So this is a lot of money. It's a lot of money, 500 denarii that is being loaned. And to the other man, he loaned 50 denarii. The problem was neither of them had the ability to pay it off. They weren't able to pay back this loan. They didn't have the funds. And so what happens? Amazingly, the lender just freely forgives them both. He he cancels their debts. And then Jesus asked Simon, this Pharisee, a penetrating question. In verse 42, he says, Simon, who do you think will love him more? Now, the answer is obvious. Jesus knew the answer was obvious. Simon knew the answer was obvious. The more you're forgiven, listen, the more you're going to be grateful. But I love the way Simon responded in verse 43. Did you catch it when Zach read it for us? Look at it. In verse 43, Luke chapter 7, Simon says, I suppose... Man, that's that's us, isn't it? That's our kids. Oh, I suppose, because we're reluctant to say, all right, you're right. All right? And that's basically Simon here. Oh, Jesus, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Talk about a reluctant answer. And Jesus says back to Simon, hey, listen, you're right. You're right. And then Jesus did something amazing. After he tells his story, in front of all the guests, He now turns to this weeping, sinful woman, and he erases her shame. You say, how's that? By doing two things, he points out the similarities between Simon and the prostitute, and then Jesus points out their differences. He basically he says and points out that Simon and this woman are both sinners who needed forgiveness, and then he points out their differences. He tells us and he shows the people that this woman came seeking forgiveness while Simon was looking for excuses. Simon's problem, though, was blindness. He could not see himself. He couldn't see the woman or the Lord Jesus. And so it was easy for him to say, listen, she's a sinner. But it was impossible for him to say, I am a sinner. Kind of reminds me of the story of a Sunday school teacher who had just concluded her lesson. And she wanted to make sure her class of students uh, understood the point she was trying to make. So she said, hey, listen, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin? And there's a moment of silence in the class. Nobody seems to raise their hand. And then from the back of the room, a small boy spoke up, sin, sin you get the story? You have to understand I'm a sinner before you can receive the forgiveness of it. And that's the point of Jesus' story here. It's not the amount of our sin. It's the awareness of our sin. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to all his guests and to this woman and to Pharisee and to the Pharisee in particular. And once we are aware of our sin, the question is, how do we respond to it? Will we excuse our sin like Simon tries to do? Or will we admit our sin and seek forgiveness like this prostitute? In fact, this is so important here. I want to suggest two principles for you to consider. The first principle is this. Jesus looks past my past. Jesus looks past my past. Listen, there's absolutely nothing that you've done in the past that could possibly make Jesus reject you. Just consider this woman's past. Her past was one of immorality. And yet Jesus accepted her. He didn't shun her. He didn't reject her. And if we're honest, there is stuff in all of our past that we're ashamed of. And yes, some people's past looks worse than others. And yet our past doesn't matter to Jesus. Jesus can look at your mistakes and he can look past your shame. Jesus didn't come To enhance our shame. He came to erase our shame by offering us the forgiveness of sin. Number two, Jesus not only looks past my past, but he looks past my predicament. He looks past the present predicament that I may find myself in right now. This woman's predicament, well, let's just be honest, it was awful. It was awful. She had nothing going for her. As a prostitute and her reputation preceded her everywhere she went. Consequently, she felt like there was no way out. And you may feel the same way. You may feel like you're trapped in some impossible situations in your life, and there's just no way out of them. But just like this woman, Jesus can look past your predicament and offer you the forgiveness of sin. The fact is, we all have reasons to be ashamed because of our sins. But Jesus can erase our shame by forgiving us of our sins. This is the first need that Jesus can meet in our lives. The second need that Jesus can meet is, number two, is he can eliminate your guilt. He can eliminate your guilt. Now, I just love what Jesus says to the woman in verse 48. Look at it with me. In verse 48, Jesus says to this woman, your sins are what? Forgiven. Forgiven. Now, what's really amazing about this, is if you go to verse 47, what does Jesus say about her sins? There are many. And yet Jesus in verse 48 says, you're forgiven. It doesn't matter how little you've sinned or how much you've sinned. You're forgiven. If you think about it, everyone in the world needs to hear those four little but powerful words. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because we've all blown it. We've all sinned. There's not a person in the world who doesn't need to be forgiven in their life. I've shared this story before, but it's such a great story, I want to share it again. And in this short story called The Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway tells the story of a Spanish father and his teenage son. And the relationship between this father and his son was not good, and eventually it just shattered and broke apart and they separated. When the rebellious son, whose name was Paco, which is a common Spanish name, ran away from home. His father began this long search to find his son. He wanted to reunite with him. And as a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper, just hoping by chance that his son would see it and respond to it. The ad in the newspaper simply said this, Dear Paco, please meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven, love, father. Well, as Hemingway tells the story, the next day at noon, 800 Pacos showed up, all seeking forgiveness from their fathers. Listen, folks, just like these Pacos, many of us are carrying a weight of guilt. We feel overwhelmed because we've let God down, because we've let the people closest to us down. We feel terrible because of the mistakes that we've made in our past and we continue to make in our present. Guilt is an incredibly paralyzing emotion. Guilt robs you of your energy. It robs you of your strength and your joy. Guilt destroys relationships and it harms you physically and emotionally. Now the amazing thing is that God can eliminate your guilt. When we admit Listen, I'm sinful, and we admit our sinfulness, and we ask him to forgive us of our sins. God looks at us, at us and he says, listen, your sins are forgiven. This word forgive, the root word of it's interesting. It actually means to release. And isn't that what we need, isn't it? From our past and our present and all this junk in our life, we need release from it. And this woman was carrying a tremendous weight of guilt and in and in Jesus' one statement, she must have felt the weight of the world just lift off her shoulders. Like a bird released from its cage, her guilt was liberated by Jesus' words, You are forgiven. Now, when it comes to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear. On number one, look at it in your notes here that Jesus forgives you instantly, He forgives you instantly. I I love what, what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, Jesus doesn't delay his forgiveness. At the moment we confess our sins is the moment for God forgives us instantly. It's been said that the only sin God can't forgive is the sin that is never confessed. But when we ask God to forgive us, folks, listen, you mark it down. You can be sure that God forgives you instantly. Number two, though, Jesus forgives you completely. He forgives you completely. You say, well, what does that mean? What does that entail? It means that every sin that you ever committed in your life, past, present, and future, God forgives. Now, you've got to look at this verse here in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, and reading it in the New Living Translation, look at what it says. You were dead. Why? Because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Woo! Woo! When we ask Jesus to forgive us, he doesn't just forgive us partially. It's not like Jesus said, oh, I'll forgive you this much, but you're on your own for the rest of your sins. You've got to take care of that. No way. Jesus forgives us completely. You ever wonder what Jesus does with our sins when he forgives it? You ever thought about that? Well, he forgives my sins. What does he do with my sins then? Well, Psalms 103 verse 12 says this. As far as the east... Is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Micah seven nineteen says, "You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea." Isaiah forty three twenty five says, "I will not remember your sins." And then I love what Corey Ten Boone once said. She, she says this: When I bring my sins to the Lord Jesus, He casts them into the depths of the sea. Forgiven and forgotten. And he also puts up a sign, no fishing allowed. I like that. So Jesus forgives you instantly. He forgives us completely. And then number three, Jesus forgives you freely. And that's the best part about it all, at all. Freely means you'll never be able to earn it. You'll never be able to deserve it. Why? Because forgiveness is a gift from God. It's free to you and I. Yes, it cost Jesus his life, his death on the cross. And the only way we can get forgiveness is by humbling ourselves, admitting that we are sinners, and asking God to forgive us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 reminds us of this when it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one can boast. And Romans three twenty two says, "We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ." And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. How can we receive God's forgiveness? Listen, it's not anything that we do. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been. It's only about whether you're willing to admit your sin and to ask God to forgive you and trusting what Jesus did on the cross with his death and resurrection. Now here's a question for us to ponder. Are you in need of God's forgiveness of sins this morning? Listen. God's forgiveness isn't conditional on how well you measure up, or how many bad things you've done. Jesus offers his forgiveness instantly, completely, and freely to whoever asks in faith. Now, again, putting yourself in this woman's shoes, this prostitute, more than likely this same woman who comes in was carrying this heavy burden of shame and guilt was more than likely standing in a crowd earlier in the week when she heard Jesus issue this invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. In fact, it's Jesus' invitation to you and I this morning when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This low-class prostitute was carrying a load of shame and guilt, and Jesus says basically to her, listen, I'll take it. I'll take it from you. And she responds to Jesus. And Jesus took it away. And he takes the shame and the guilt of her sin by offering her forgiveness. And perhaps like this woman, you too are carrying a load of shame and guilt. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I'll take it. Are you loaded down with shame and guilt? I'll take it. In exchange, I'll give you rest through the forgiveness of sins. Take a look at this video that illustrates this truth right here. Simple, but powerful. I'll take it. That's Jesus' invitation to all of us here this morning. That's what Jesus came to do in our lives. It's why God sent him, his only son, to this world. To be born as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, but to die on the cross and to resurrect so that Jesus can take our sins and forgive it so we don't have to live with the shame and this burden of guilt he came to erase our shame and to eliminate our guilt when we come to him and ask him to forgive us of our sins but that's not all Jesus came to do folks he wants to help us change and this is the best part of the whole story which brings us to the third need that Jesus wants to meet in our lives Jesus can enable you to change you ever tried to change on your own? How's that going for you? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm not talking about changing your clothes. The older I get, the harder it is to change my socks. You're figuring that out. And I'm not talking about changing the oil in your car. What I'm talking about is changing your character, the core of who you are on the inside. And we all know trying to do that on our own, by ourselves, is impossible but it's not impossible with God God can change us from the inside out that's the story of what Jesus does for this woman it's all about changed lives notice this number one underneath this with Jesus you can receive a new heart today and that's where many of us need that's where we need to start we need a a a new heart we need Uh, To be changed from the inside out. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus to be born again. It's regeneration. Notice what Jesus tells this woman in verse 50. He says to her, your faith has saved you. Now this is amazing because, again, you've got to understand the situation here. On this day, this low-class prostitute entered Simon's house as this ridiculed sinner. But she left. Not the same person. She left as a redeemed person whose sins were forgiven. Because of her faith in Jesus Christ, she walked away that day with a new heart, a pure heart. It didn't matter what her past was. It didn't matter what predicament she was in at the moment. Jesus changed her. Jesus gave her a new heart because of her faith in him. And Jesus can change your heart as well. Listen, he can change the very core of who you are when you're willing to put your trust and faith in Jesus. But number two, with Jesus, you can receive a fresh start as well. He not only gives you a new heart, man, he can give you a fresh start. And I love the last three words Jesus speaks to this woman as she leaves Simon's house. He says to her, did you see it there? Notice it verse, in verse 50, go in peace. Go in peace. Now let me ask you, how much peace do you think this woman had when she crashed this dinner party? What kind of peace do you think she had in her heart when she came walking in? Man, her life was a wreck. It is chaotic inside. There's turmoil in her heart because she knows, man, this is not what I was created for. This is not how life is supposed to be about. And now Jesus says to her as she leaves this house, go in peace. She approached Jesus as this hurting, horrible sinner. Her life was one of shame, guilt, and turmoil. And Jesus gives her a fresh start by forgiving her sins. For the first time in her life. Man, she's got peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace that only God can give the peace of a forgiven life and that's what happens when we come to Jesus he not only gives us a new heart but he gives us a fresh start now I want to close with a true story from Bristol Connecticut how many of you guys have ever seen the show American Pickers oh okay we got some fans of American Pickers my my oldest boy he loves the show he uh he DVRs it all the time and so we, we'll sit and watch you know three or four episodes, one right after another, of American Pickers. And if you don't know what American Pickers are, it's this uh, antique store in Iowa, and there's these two guys, and they basically drive around in this truck just looking for things to pick over and take back to their antique store and sell. Consequently called American Pickers, because they're driving over the American heartland, and across it, and they're picking up uh, this other people's junk, and turning it into people's treasures. It's a pretty neat storyline and show if you've never seen it. But anyways, this true story that took place in Bristol, Connecticut. This couple had a yard sale, and they decided to sell this mirror they'd received as a wedding gift. Is, is, that, is that a taboo thing to do? Sell your wedding gifts. Anybody ever got a wedding gift you just wanted to throw away? <laughs> Don't answer that.
0: <laughs> anyways, it was
1: an expensive mirror. But they were selling it because, well, it just had this gaudy, aqua-colored frame that looked like it came out of the 60s that didn't match anything else in their house. And so this man bought the mirror for a dollar. Hey, why not? He was so excited, he said, this is a great deal. It even still has the plastic on the frame. And then he peeled off the aqua-covered plastic, revealing a beautiful gold finished frame. Listen to me. That's what Jesus did for this woman. And that's what Jesus wants to do for every one of us and with your life. Jesus knows that below the gaudy, ugly surface of our lives, there's something beautiful to be revealed. Jesus' forgiveness liberates us. It strips away the ugly covering. And when we come to Jesus, when we trust him to forgive us of our sins, 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes the radical change that takes place in our lives. One of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible, when Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Yeah, you got it. New creature, new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why come to Jesus? Why humble yourself and seek his forgiveness? Why trust him as your Savior and Lord? Because Jesus can't erase your shame. Jesus can eliminate your guilt. And Jesus can't enable you to change. All you have to do is humble yourself. And fall at his feet and ask. And you can receive forgiveness of your sin today. With your heads bowed. And as we come to the time in our service where we respond to the message. Where we respond to God's tugging in your hearts. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions here. Just between you and God, what shame are you carrying with you this morning? what guilt is weighing you down listen you can receive the forgiveness of sins right now why not come to Jesus this morning and ask for his forgiveness listen if this is your desire there's even a a sample prayer that to kind of help you along to guide you in expressing your heart's desire to Christ the praise team's going to sing and as they do let me challenge you to receive his forgiveness and perhaps for some of you this is the very first time you need to receive God's forgiveness for the first time in your life and to enter into a relationship with Christ and come into his spiritual family for others of you you're you're believers already but man sin has has taken you down and out it has sabotaged your life listen we can come to Jesus all over again we can come not as sinners, but as sons and daughters and receive the forgiveness of sins all over anew if we're willing to confess it and repent and ask for forgiveness. And so now's the time to do business. Whether you're coming for the first time to receive it or whether you're coming as a believer already, let me encourage you to respond as the praise team sings.
0: For the cross, the mighty cross that
1: God Himself should die for.